the best coaches in the game, <laughs> we really ain't playing We regroup up in the slack chat where the coaches debrief We be piecing these puzzles, occupy the chunk of the pie Ain't no lie when we hit the block, helmets casket is top You be seeing helmet after helmet, helmet after helmet First place, second place, fifth place, eighth place, twelfth place, fifteen, sixteen, twenty So many helmets, you got blur vision, we got too many What's up everyone, Kevin Allen here from DFS Army And today, we have a special strategy breakdown looking at all of the showdowns from 2019, trying to figure out what we can glean and how we can attack and beat showdowns in 2020 using this information. We're going to talk FanDuel. We're going to talk DraftKings. And I've got my man, the showdown specialist himself, DFS up north, with me here to break everything down. How you feeling today, my man? It's crazy. It's 20. I, I can't. I, I think six months ago, if you asked if we were going to have an NFL season, I would have said, I'm not really sure. But hey, here we are and we're ready to roll for uh, Thursday night. We are ready to roll. And part of what I want to let everybody know is that every single week of the season, we will have three VIP only showdown breakdowns featuring myself, Josh, DFS up north, and DFS millionaire maker winner himself, Bobby Wow. We're going to focus on FanDuel. We're going to focus on DraftKings. We're going to get slate specific every single week of the season. But Josh, before we get into that, it's really, really important to understand the basic rules um, of essentially what has won showdowns in the past so that we get a really full grasp of how to attack these and how to try to actually win these types of tournaments there are techniques involved there are players that show up more in the captain mvp spots than others there are correlations in play both positive and negative negative really really important so essentially what we're trying to do is hone in the lineups that we're going to create to increase our odds of taking down one of these tournaments ideally taking down a solo win because, Josh, what happens last season on FanDuel, like, you know, all too frequently? Tell yeah, me, I mean, it, it was, I mean, it, and, and you're, you're right. Like, I mean, we got to look at, I think it's important to look at what happened last year. And now what can we, what can we take from that to make sure that we're giving ourselves the best chance to, like you said, solo win, which was on FanDuel, especially very rare last year. Um, there was, a, there was many, many showdown slates where you could max enter, win the contest, and you were losing money for the day just because of all the ties. And um, you don't see that as much on FanDuel or on DraftKings because of the salary multiplier and, and, and some other and that extra roster spot. Um, but yeah, FanDuel was was tough last year. But I think, you know, just in, in doing some of our research, we found a few ways that we can try to uh, really try to strategize on FanDuel and, and take down that solo win. You know, one of the most counterintuitive things, and, and again, before we dive into the, the statistical, the numbers here, one of the most difficult things from a mental st strategy and approach is building for these less likely than ideal scenarios, right? So, you know, the common player, the way our mind works says, I don't give a fuck if it's a tie or not. I want to win, right? So I'm going to build my lineups with the most optimal approach because hey i don't care if it's a 700 if it's a 700 person win chain i want to be in it the problem is josh that's not an optimal plus ev strategy 
right? Right. And, and, you know, it's uh, especially on, on something like FanDuel, like long term, you're not going to win money doing that or you're not going to be positive uh, doing that. And, and, the, and like you said, it, it's so much of a so much of DFS is is a mental game. And it's really less about picking the, the best plays or, or the highest projected players and more about accounting for these situations that could happen you know the week one here you know i'm I'm already looking at stuff for thursday and the chiefs and the and the texans and it's it's hard to build some texans onslaughts right but you know you got to think we'll get into into what an onslaught is yeah it's hard to build yeah heavy texan lineups because you're going against the chiefs they're the super bowl champions they're nine point favorites but this is the NFL. We haven't had a preseason, especially now. It's, it's probably more important than ever to, to look at maybe being contrarian. All right. And, and absolute hundred percent. And what I want to add before we dive in, and this is wildly important. I want to manage expectations for everybody watching this. If you're going to attack mass multi-entry tournaments, you should be. And, and I did a video on this. Actually, I'm going to actually reference back. I just did a video, which is spectacular. If I do say so myself, you should go and watch this about understanding the difference between single entry cash and mass multi-entry tournaments, techniques, and approaches. And part of in that video, I explained, listen, you're not going to win mass multi-entry tournaments putting in 150. You're not going to win that every time. You're not even going to win it like more often than not. Actually, more often than not, not only are you not going to win it, you're going to lose money on it. So understanding the fact that if you mass multi-enter you're going to lose money you should expect to lose money about 60 to 70 percent of the time you're good to break even or make a slight profit maybe 15 percent of the time and then or 20 and then you're hoping to win them you know some level of you know two to five percent of a very small percentage of the time so why are why do we play them because that one win if you do it right should be enough to make up for all of the losses. So we're hoping not to lose too much on our losing weeks. We just hope, but we don't we don't build lineups to to not lose that much. We build lineups exclusively for one thing. We want to find the winning lineup. Yeah. And I, and I think just to build on that, I, I think that, you know, obviously we so many times and, it, and it's a brain thing. Again, we try to mitigate losses, right? We try to be like, oh, I can't miss out on this guy or, I, you know, and, and you have to build to, to win that contest. And I think maybe besides that, the other most common mistake that people do make is that they, they win that contest, right? So now all of a sudden you have that win that's going to cover your losses for the year. And what does everybody try to do? They ramp up how much they're playing the next week and they play in these bigger contests, which is fine at times. But now all of a sudden you're, you're playing so much more of your bankroll that that now you, you're back to square one because you lost it all the next week. And, and you know, I think it's important to find a, find a, a strategy that works. And then even after that win, continue to, to do that because the wins aren't, aren't going to come every single week, especially when you're building to, to win these GPPs and not just min-cash them. Absolutely. So we want to distinguish a lot of what we're going to talk about now from approaches to trying to take down a mass multi-entry GPP, I would approach single entry and certainly cash slightly different. And I also think there's absolutely nothing wrong. As a matter of fact, I would highly encourage people to make the focus of their entries, at least across the NFL weekend, even if even if you might do showdowns and main slates differently, to make the focus of your game and the focus of your budget not playing mass multi-entry tournaments, but rather playing single entry three max and um, cash type games try to beat 100 people or 70 people in a tournament you don't have to get as silly 
uh, in those types of contests to try to win. So I want to manage expectations up front. And one beautiful thing, there's no more winning showdown optimizer than the DFS Army Domination Station. It literally has destroyed these contests. We were one of the first. Uh, we've, I don't think any showdown. I mean, one that we won the Super Bowl. We won them all. Yep. So the the tools are there, you know, and no one has a better tool. That's that's for sure, right? The tools are here that we need to win these contests. Uh, DFS Army VIP subscribers, you have access to it, and of course our cheat sheets and our notes and everything is going to help you along the way. But understanding these basic rules of thumb that we're about to run into, w- walk in, go into right now, will help manage this mass multi-entry approach. Approach. So, le- Josh, let's get right into it. Right, we're going to start with a basic overview of how these contests work and some differences between FanDuel and DraftKings scoring. So, Josh, why don't you break this down for me, man? Yeah. Tell me how DraftKings and FanDuel are similar and how are they different? So, obviously, they're similar in that we're both, they're both looking at one game, right? Um, you're going to have the difference in scoring just based on, so DraftKings is, is uh, PPR, point per reception. FanDuel is not, right? So, if you have, if you get a point per reception, intuitively, the wide receivers are going to be more valued on DraftKings than they are on FanDuel. Um, but really, uh, they're, they're, they're very, very similar. Um, you know, you're trying to, to build a game script in your head on, on how it's going to go. And um, each have a, a one point. 0.5x multiplier for either the captain on DraftKings and on FanDuel, it's called the MVP. Uh, the big difference between the two sites, though, is that on DraftKings, you are not only getting 1.5x, you have to pay 1.5x salary. On FanDuel, salary stays the same. And, and that makes a, a big difference in that you can play a, a cheaper guy to fit in more studs on DraftKings because of that 1.5x, and that works. Whereas on FanDuel, your MVP has to be the highest score on the slate. One of the most important things for people to understand in general about FanDuel and DraftKings and their approach to DFS, FanDuel is designed to essentially be easier. That's why there are more winners, uh, more ties in these contests on FanDuel than on DraftKings. FanDuel is purposefully designed to be a little bit easier to play. How do they achieve that? Here in the captain, yes, you no longer have to worry about trying to think if a lower cost player will go off and that math will will over um, will exceed what, what a higher cost player who scores more fantasy points will do. On Fanduel, we need the highest scoring player in the MVP area. And you know, we've looked back and we've discovered ninety-eight percent of the time who those high scoring players are. And it's mostly quarterback and a little bit less of the time, but not much less uh, running back and significantly less of the time wide receiver. So we, we have the percentages we'll talk about and we'll get into that more uh, right here on the DraftKings side initially. Um, now, DraftKings, again, built a little bit more complex because we have to consider players that don't score the most points. So let's jump right in to yeah. DraftKings, Josh, and, and get into the, the statistics. Now, let me let me pop some DFS Army research up on the screen. Here. Yeah, this is the DFS Army showdown analysis, which you can find it updates every week under NFL showdown analysis. And this is sort of a running spreadsheet. This one breaks down the entirety of 2019. Now, Josh, why didn't we include 2018 in this analysis? 
yeah. So uh, last year, uh, just some basics on this sheet is that we looked at every uh, every single slate um, are all the primetime slates that which we cover here for DFS Army. Um, and we looked at not just the number one, the winning lineup, but we also looked at the second and third place lineups as well. So we got a, a pretty good overview of how do you construct a top 1% lineup? And, and we looked at, you know, things like ownership. We looked at um, whether they were the, the Vegas lines, right? Whether they were the favorite of the dog. We looked at uh, the over-under for the game, the spread to see, if, again, to see if we could find any ways in on, hey, how do we construct a better lineup to win? Um, so, uh, you know, uh, we don't use 2018 is because uh, DraftKings got smarter with their pricing, all right? It was very... It was much more soft pricing in 2018, and they got a lot sharper here in 2019, meaning that, you know, some of these backup guys that, you know, were automatic plays at $2,000, $3,000 were now five dollars or $6,000, and you couldn't really afford them in your lineup. So really, the, 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 the way that you had to build lineups changed pretty significantly from 2018 to 2019. And then as a whole... You know, we, we add another year of playing on top of it and the, the field just got a lot sharper. Um, you know, people, you know, are doing the same things that we are in terms of analyzing these slates. And uh, what we see now is that there's not as many dead lineups uh, in, in these contests as we did before. So I think it's important to, again, go back and, and take a look and see what it looks like. But, yeah, we're going to really focus on what we saw last year as opposed to like the whole last two years. Absolutely. All right. So let's get right into it. The first question we always get, and even before we get into onslaughts and, and, and correlation, is what position should I use in the captain spot on DraftKings and why? So we've got a few different sets of statistics. I've got, um, we've got some statistics here that will show um, the top three lineups. I also have a set of statistics that looked at just what won. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, uh, as you can see, we in that showdown analysis, the, the number one by a, a pretty fair margin um, was favorite wide receivers were captains. All right. Uh, it appeared 42, 42 times and 22 percent of all lineups. Um, so whatever team was favored, their wide receiver. Now, this isn't broken down by wide receiver one, two or three. But on average, uh, we're looking at wide receiver one. So if you're just going to build one lineup for uh, single entry or just, you know, throwing a dart, like you're, you're typically going to want to try to play that number one wide receiver. Um, but running backs do show up on average more than wide receivers, right? So dog and, and favored running backs uh, show up about 30% of the time, as opposed to, uh, you know, just under 30% for wide receivers. So uh, really though, as you kind of look down at this, what you can find is that your captain should really almost never be somebody that's not a wide receiver, a quarterback or a running back um, tight end uh, kickers and, and defenses show up less than, I mean, notwithstanding the Patriots defense last year that showed up three times. Um, but yeah, it was, they, they show up less than 5% of the time. So if you're really, we really should be trying to focus on these more likely outcomes, um, especially with the captain spot. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm going to break it down a little bit further. Absolutely, right? You never... Uh, the only tight ends that have ended up as the nuts captain have been the super elite level Ertz, Kelsey, Kittle type of tight ends that yep. you know really function as a WR1 for their teams. So essentially, you could almost mix them in and say that's a WR1. They're salaried that way. You don't get the Dan yep. Arnold one, you know, two catch guy that that winds up as the captain. Um, 
further breaking this down a little bit because I do think this is actually a really important distinction. At the wide receiver position, though we saw around 30% across the board wide receiver on DraftKings, that um, was the nuts. For the team-specific players, without accounting for favorite and underdog, the WR1 was capped in about 20% of the time, with WR2 about 7.7%, which does open up a very interesting contrarian approach of making sure you get a little exposure to that WR2. I'm, I'm hearkened back to a game, you know, there's a lot of these, but you have the, you know, it's that Falcons game where it turns out to be Calvin Ridley that goes off. Or it's the, the uh, I mean, you know, we could go through this over and over again. It's the Sammy Watkins game when we all played Tyreek Hill. You know, I if this was a, a, one of my players clubs, I've had like, Alanis Morissette on here, like talking about how ironic it is. It's that, you know, it's a, you know, isn't it ironic? I played the fucking, you know, wide receiver and captain and it was the other one that went off. Right. So it, it's, it's and, and the other interesting phenomenon, RB2 showed up a reasonable, you know, compared to RB1, which was 25% of the time, RB2 showed up a reasonable, Josh, seven. 0.5% of the time, RB2. Right. And I think that's, you know, what those sort of situations are where you're looking at something like Jamal Williams, right? So you got the Aaron Jones, who's the who's the clear-cut RB1, but maybe Williams, it happened last year, I think, against the Eagles. Williams gets two touchdowns because he catches two passes out of the backfield, and now he's the, he's the stud play. So those are things that you need to account for, you know, or a James White, who's not technically maybe an RB1 uh, behind Shell. If he's catching passes, especially on DraftKings, those are much more viable plays than they are uh, on 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 FanDuel. But they also, you know, they have that nice floor of, hey, they might catch three, four passes. So that's going to be worth three, four points. And, and you're not dead if they if they don't get in the end zone. This is how you take down, you bank the tournament, right? Yes. We don't want to be, we don't want to be loading up on RB2, but there's also the situation where the RB1 just gets dinged up. Man, yep. shit happens. This is football. Shit happens, right? So you've got a stud RB1, and he's out there, and he's Christian McCaffrey, and he's 80% owned, and then he then he dings up his foot. Knock on wood, God, God forbid. And, you know, he's out of the game. And then what happens? The backup comes in, or, or a guy that's not even like some crap backup, but rather, you know, on a team, the Mostert Coleman – Example is better. Oh, yeah. Dings up his thing. He's out. The hammy. Coleman goes off. No one has him. That's how you take down the tournament. And the the reason I point out that that has happened 7.5% of the time is because that's not that infrequent considering the, 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 our chance of winning one of these tournaments going in is about one in a hundred thousand, right? Because there's a hundred thousand lineups. If I can, if I can play a backup running back who's going to be under 1% captain owned, but that play, and again, I'm not talking about playing, you know, the worst backup on some shitty team. I'm talking about a premium rushing team with a premium backup. Alexander Madison. Yeah, like a, a premium situation. We're not talking about, you know, rolling out LaMichael P. Ryan on the Jets in the expectation that Le'Veon right. Bell gets hurt. Le'Veon Bell ain't that great right now anyway. The Jets offense doesn't produce to the running back position. So it's not going to, that's not what's going to win it. But putting Kevin Coleman, most are out of the game hurt. All of a sudden Coleman goes off. You take down solo tournament win. Right. I think, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, 
you look at the week, week one here, we're looking at the first game, like, and, and we're saying 7% of the time. So even maybe you're talking about a one, two, 3% owned in the, in the captain slot. You look at a guy like Daryl Williams, right? If this happens 7% of the time, Clyde Edwards Hilaire is going to be 45% owned in, you know, and 25% owned in the captain slot in, in week one. If you play 6% Daryl Williams in that captain slot, like you're smashing the field. And, and if for some reason Hilaire doesn't pick up a pass block and now he gets sat for a series or two, you're looking at, you know, a possible winning lineup right there. And, and again, you're not trying to just get across the cash line here in GPP. These are the types of plays that you're making to, to win a tournament. And, you know, I don't, if I had 150 lineups and all 150 min cash, I did something wrong. Like uh, I'm probably positive for the week, but in my build, I just didn't give myself enough chance to win. Absolutely. Um, so the, the other, by the way, I, I have to throw this out there, Josh, if you said, if you recommended this week, like like we will most weeks, like, hey, you know, Tevin Coleman's out there. And while it's not likely and he's not projected, we like Raheem Mostert here. But you get a little Coleman exposure just in case Mostert gets hurt. And let's say Mostert doesn't get hurt. And I played Tevin Coleman. And then I'm all mad because I didn't win all the monies. Is it okay for me to hit you up on Twitter or DM and tell you what a donkey you are? For time to play, um, yeah, I mean... Coleman? Again, I think you can just do that. Yeah, you can. It comes down to managing expectations, right? Like, what do you or what do you want to get out of this? Like, and that's a question that I think that we need to ask ourselves sometimes. And a lot of times players say, like, I want to win a million dollars. Well, sure. But your lineup, even a safe lineup, isn't coming anywhere near that. So it, it, it really comes down to getting out of your own head and, and, and trying to build a scenario that is going to allow you to win a million dollars. Unlikely events. You build for the less than likely scenario. If we just build for the scenario that the Vegas line is painting for us, then we are never going to win all the money because everybody else is building for that same scenario. Now, let's talk about the first column here that you can see on the screen, which is one of my favorite things to look at, um, construction and the stack types that have won. And I think this is one of the more surprising things that you're going to see. Onslaught stacks, which is the five to one stack. What does that mean? Five. This is DraftKings. Yep. Five players from one team, generally the favorite, but not always. I have some numbers on that. Um, five players from one team and only one from the other team. Had one took down tournaments, especially top three, which is what we're measuring here. Yep. Finished top was one of the top three lineups. 27% of the time. Now, man, I wish I had this. I wish I had the number for how it's many were built as 5 1. It's got to be under 10%. Well, under 10%. So if you're looking for a leverage spot, right? Everybody builds 4 2 3 3. That's just how it's done. Your optimizer, our optimizer, and pretty much all optimizer, it's very difficult to actually set up an optimizer. An optimizer will not naturally do a 5-1 stack. It just won't. Right. It wants to do 4-2 and 4-3 stacks. There are ways to set up the optimizer specifically to do these stacks, and that's using rules. But we can't run 150 lineups with those rules, so we have to run separate uh, onslaught stacks. Right. What that, what that means is for every, every tournament where we want... Now, Explain a little bit, because you did a little deeper dive into this. Um, explain a little bit like how onslaught stacks work out better when a team is heavily favored. Give, give me some of those numbers. 
Yeah. So it, what we found is that onslaught stocks like this five to one um, typically show up when the average spread is like we have it at minus seven point six and the over under at, at over forty six. So we're looking at games where there's a heavy favorite um, and they are it's likely to be somewhat high scoring. Um, so what we again, it's not always the you know the 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 favored team but typically what we're looking at is uh you know like again i I keep coming back to week one here the chiefs are nine point favorites in a 48 total game like using that 5-1 stack this week is likely um at least according to vegas likely to happen um and, and be the the winning lineup that team just winds up dominating the other team essentially gives up um early weeks especially and you can see right here in the statistics we have right on the screen that the average spread for um, 5-1 stack winning for, for the team when a 5-1 stack won was minus 7.6, meaning, you know, that's about as high of an average um, spread as you're ever going to see on anything. Yeah. And it's clearly well above the mean spread for these contests, which is about 5.0, which has been just the mean spread for all showdowns for whatever yeah. reason. Um, but... 7.6 on average. So when you see a, a favorite, a heavy favorite, we want to definitely make sure. Now, you might say week one, you might say, well, you know, who's Houston's good and oh, this team's good and that and they're going to score. doesn't matter. We're not playing for the likely scenario. We're cre- creating this for that unlikely scenario where you're watching the game. How many times have you watched the game? You're like, oh, man. My team just doesn't have it today. And you just know they're not going to do anything. And you just know they're a disaster. And, like, that happens all the time when you're watching football. And this year we know less. You know, we haven't seen these guys in the preseason. You know, we know less this year. I, I, I you know, I mean, right now with the with the money line, the Texans are, what, 20% to win this game. And, uh, you know, I think that you could, you know, if you're going to allocate 25% of your lineups for 5-1 onslaughts, I'd be I'd be looking at ten uh, almost a fifty fifty on on the Texans just to get leverage on the field there. Absolutely. Now let's jump into another really really important area here, um, where research has kind of shown some. I, I want to look at stacks and correlation sure. real quick. And one of the most interesting things from last season, we went into last season where in two thousand and eighteen, it borderline never happened that a wide receiver would be the captain on DraftKings. Without driving, uh, dragging, even though it was counterintuitive to think that this was a lock to always need be required because of the way DraftKings scoring works, it just hadn't happened where wide receivers had been the captain without dragging their quarterback at worst along with them as a flex play. But all, you know, so we saw all that information. We kind of started making the rule hey, if a quarterback, if a wide receiver is my MVP or not MVP, captain, Definitely, we want to use that's different on FanDuel. We're, we're going right. to focus on DraftKings real quick. If a, if a wide receiver was my captain, we were making a rule. Hey, we have the ability on the Domination Station Optimizer, DFS Army, to make a rule that says if player X, wide receiver one, is my captain, then always use player Y, their quarterback, in the flex. And we started making that rule. And then we saw a different phenomenon in 2019 from what had been the statistical case in 2018, where about 18 or 19% of the time with a quarterback in the captain spot, 
it did not drag a, uh, their own wide uh, quarterback with a wide receiver in the captain. It, he did not drag his own quarterback into the flex. Now, can you explain why yeah. do you think that changed? So what, what that situation is, is like uh, where you're looking at a high volume receiver. So somebody like, uh, for example, Michael Thomas, right? So if, you got, if you've got Thomas in the captain slot and he catches 12 passes and a touchdown he's at 100 yards, He's smashing on DraftKings with the bonuses. But let's say Breeze, that's the only touchdown he throws. Maybe he throws a pick. And now we're looking at, you know, uh, the other team crushes, right? But they spread out their scoring. Well, now you can have Michael Thomas as the as the nuts captain and, you know, not have another Saints player or not have his, his quarterback with him. So really, it's these situations where, you know, you have a stud wide receiver who gets a lot of volume and maybe his team loses. Uh, that's what we're looking at, or that's at least what, what I've seen it. And remember looking back at last year, um, as, as being sort of that, oh man, you know, quarterback has a mediocre game, but his wide receiver goes off. It's, it's twofold. It's, it's those games where Drew Brees only throws to Michael Thomas. Right. So he's the only guy occurring points. And while, you know, Drew Brees didn't go crazy because he was only thrown to one guy, Michael Thomas winds up with 14 receptions. Yeah. 30 yards and one touchdown, but for Drew Brees to throw for 140 yards and a touchdown, not going to do it. I think I think a big part of it was the salary change, where you have to you do have to pay up for a quarterback. And whereas in 2018, even you just did it anyway because the quarterback was such a value because you had so many value spots on the team and the quarterback had such a high floor, he just always seemed to end up in the optimal. 2019, when they jacked up the salaries to where you couldn't afford essentially what were three studs. You'd have to make a decision like you couldn't have a quarterback and two like number one wide receivers or two quarterback. You had to choose. No. So in 2019, when they when the salary yeah. algorithm changed, I do think that that affected the ability, the 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 ability of of one wide receiver to pull the quarterback in. I wouldn't be shocked, though, if it's the WR2 who's the captain. I'd love to see stats on that. And that's something yeah. I think you look at where I think I feel like the WR2 captain would always pull the 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 quarterback because he's probably also throwing to his wr1 yes and the wr2 captain is so much cheaper that you can afford a wr a qb1 you can afford all two pair. of them or both that, of them that'd be a really interesting thing uh, uh my my logic without the statistics tells me that a wr2 is more likely to pull his quarterback into the flex as part of the nuts lineup. Right. And I'd love to, you know what? We'll go it back makes, and take a look. Right. At it. it makes sense. And, and, you know, if you, if you just scroll down, you know, a little bit to that QB and pass catchers, you find that, you know, 40, uh, just under 40% of the time that the, the winning lineups have a QB in it at minimum two pass catchers. Um, yeah, we want, we want to have uh, on DraftKings. If you, if your quarterback is in there, we want to generally try to get, at least two people catching passes from him. There's yes. no doubt that that. And but the issue again is sometimes a running back is a pass catcher. We have yes. to accept that the running backs can be pass catchers as well. And this and, and since we did this, you know, obviously by hand, we we put in like so. If it says QB and two pass catchers, that could be Julian Edelman and James White. You know what I mean? Or but just in terms of if we have a pass catching RB, we we classified them as a pass catcher. Yeah, it's not always necessarily, but we can distinguish between yeah. pass catching RBs and those that aren't. Yes. Um. All right. So let's talk about some negative correlations and things we found seem to never happen. Right. Uh. Outside of uh, let's see here. 
All right, negative correlations. The first one, two kickers. Should I ever play two kickers in a tournament? Not in a tournament. Doesn't happen, 4% of the time. 4% of the time, so we were going to avoid that. How about two defenses? Never, 3% of the time. <laughs> and two tight ends? 5% of the time, never so do there, it. There we go. Now, this is an interesting difference because I just told you five minutes ago that the WR2 showing up 7.7% of the time as a captain or, or the RB2 is a beautiful opportunity for differentiation. I don't consider this that. Okay. This is an opportunity to avoid throwing away lineups because the incident of two kicker lineups or two defense lineups is higher than the, the frequency where, that it wins. So the leverage here is to get off of that construction yeah. and just never do it. Is that, um, do yeah. you agree? You look at a game that's going to, and you know, it happens 3% of the or defense, you know, two defense, 3% of the time. But you look at a game that's going to have like a 40 point total, two defenses will be in 30% of the lineups. You know what I mean? So, uh, cause intuitively we're like, oh, it's low scoring. You know, we, we got to get those defenses in there and, and they're cheap and you know, it just doesn't happen. So you, especially in games like that, you can really gain leverage on the field by maybe just playing one or no defenses. Yeah. No defense. Definitely won 60 plus percent of the time. Yeah. Um, only, uh, one kicker, two kickers again. And I, I, I'll talk about FanDuel in a minute. We'll, we'll jump over to FanDuel in a minute, but two kickers borderline, never one. And kickers are really cheap on DraftKings. Just, it's just an issue of, they don't score enough point. There's not enough upside. And I can count on one hand, how many games last year where it was a kicker battle. Like it happened, I think once. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, what was it? Vinatieri, or I have somebody scored a ton at the captain, and it was a nuts play. But um, it it's like adjusting, you know. It's I think happen a lot. It's and the not- other thing that the other big piece there, you know, I mean, obviously, I think kickers are great for cash because you're, especially if the game totals over like 47, 48, Like, if there's going to be that many points in the game, at least one kicker in your lineup in cash, I think, makes a lot of sense. But uh, yeah, you don't need necessarily. To, to, to get two. But the one piece there that is really interesting is that defensive special teams and the opposing QB. Because intuitively, we're saying, okay, I don't want to play a defense against my QB, right? Yeah, because because we've played we've played season-long fantasy forever. Or even just in, in, in regular DFS, uh, you know, on a 12-game main slate, we don't want to play our D against our quarterback. But in a single-game situation, this showed up, what, 16% of the time or 18% of the time? Defense against opposing QB. Yep. Sixteen um, percent of the time, that was the winner. Yep. And understanding that that was rarely, rarely played. Yeah. So this was a leverage spot against the field. Captain yeah. and opposing defense. So essentially, if you're a captain player, be him a running back, quarterback, or wide receiver, was in the lineup. You do not need to exclude the opposing defense from that lineup. Yep. Right. So it's the, these are important correlations to either embrace or not embrace. There was a lot of people who were saying, hey, if this guy's my captain, do not play opposing defense. That is the wrong move in a showdown where it's more likely over the course of a 14 game main slate to just avoid p- using players against your defense. Because, you know, why do that? You don't need to. In showdowns, we embrace that. Yep. Because even though it's less likely that a defense scores a lot of points uh, uh, when, when the offense against it is going off and doing well, that doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It happens enough and it happens more than the number of lineups that exist in the contest think. So 
we want to embrace that type prime, of experience. The prime example is, and, and it's really actually good for your QB if he throws a pick six, right? Because you're, and if you have that D, your ideal situation is like a Baker Mayfield, right? The guy throws a ton of picks, he takes a ton of sacks. But if Mayfield throws a pick six, it's minus what? Minus one point for him, minus two points. It's six points for the D plus the interception. So an eight points or six point swing. Um, and now he gets the ball back and can go down and try to score again. So Mayfield could throw three picks or three touchdowns and a pick that went for six. The defense scores. You're you're looking at a situation where that that cheap defense now is in the nuts lineup. Thank you for blowing up my DMs from all of the Browns fans with your yeah, right? Mayfield comparison. Could you use Jameis Winston? Right. Yeah, right. yeah. I just think back to Mayfield throwing like what? How many picks against the Rams last year? <laughs> That's hot. Jameis Winston. It was the pick pick six machine, man. Right. Yeah. He throws a pick six. He comes right back. Throws a touchdown. Throws a touchdown. It's a great deal. He's scoring. He's given defense points. Baker Mayfield is the ultimate. As a matter of fact, uh, not Baker. James, as a matter of fact, I'm concerned that without, quite honestly, um, James Winston as one of the um, people being counted towards this statistic, I expect that number to come down a little bit. Right? Yeah. Ultimate in providing um, defensive points and offensive escalation. Baker last year a little bit too, but he, he's got a real he's, getting he's, he's got better. a real coaching staff this year. So, <laughs> That's you know, true. <laughs> Um, all right, so oh, we went through a bunch of stuff. Yeah, Basic rules of thumb, guys. Let's get into it for DraftKings. Oh, we forgot one though. Wait, what am what am I missing? What what do we have left? Salary cap. Ah, very important. Okay, so, so the average. Yeah, I mean, I can the average on the page here. Yeah, scroll right. up here. The average salary left for a winner was forty eight thousand eight hundred forty nine dollars. So under forty nine thousand uh, dollars, which is counterintuitive to everything that we do, right? If we have more salary left, what do we want to do? We want to use all that salary because we can get a perceived better player. But the reality is, is that especially on, on a site like FanDuel, which we'll get to here in a little bit, but even on DraftKings, like just by going underneath that $50,000 salary cap, you are uh, creating a situation where you are going to be unique and, and have that upside. I do think, yeah, we want to kind of try to avoid a little bit on, and this is much more dramatic on FanDuel. Yep. It's much more important on FanDuel. But you'll note here, actually, you know, the average salary total spent, 80, 48, 849, is pretty high. It's, it's not that far off from 50K. So my yep. takeaway from this number is, while we don't necessarily want to spend exactly the 50K, because that does involve a lot of um, ties, I would almost say if we're playing the chalkiest of captains, that's where you want to worry about this on DraftKings a little bit. Like, let's say Christian McCaffrey is on the slate and he is the chalk. Now, it's going to be very difficult to do this because Christian McCaffrey is very expensive. But chances are everybody's going to play him as captain. And so those spend 49.8 to 50K lineups are going to be very, very highly um, owned. Duplicated all over the place. Yep. But if you pivoted off and went DJ Moore... You don't even need to worry about the salary cap because right. from there, no one's playing them. Everybody's playing the other guys. So you, you, the chalkier the captain, the more creative you should get with how much salary, especially in a handcraft. These things are trickier to pull off on the optimizer. You have to do individual runs. Yeah, you just got to build like a batch. So if you have CMC captain, you just set your 30 lineups or whatever you're doing and set the salary cap for 49.5 or 49,000. You're automatically going to be unique pretty much from everybody else. There we go. Um, all right, so if that wraps up kind of a lot of the approaches to DraftKings, yeah. let's jump over to FanDuel real quick because 
I have notes. Let's do it. And um, we'll jump over to FanDuel real quick. Those are not the numbers on screen. We only have DraftKings. Bills terrible about giving out their data. Yeah, um, it's much more difficult to glean data from FanDuel, but we do have some. Yep. So FanDuel is much more prominent, guys. Uh, I wish I could put things up on screen, but we're just not there. So uh, like little bullet points, but <laughs> we're not there yet. We don't have that. But here we go for FanDuel. Quarterback, because of the scoring system difference, quarterback was the MVP 41% of the time last season. Okay? RB was MVP 36% of the time with WR coming in at a measly 18%. And if we add in stud tight ends, which I do think we should count them as WR, I just think it's how it should be counted. Sure. Um, if we add in stud tight ends, 18, it's 3.7% of the time for stud tight ends. So that brought 18, 19, 20 to about 21 or 22% of the time. So very important. Quarterback, 41%. RB, 36%. Studly pass catchers, only 22% of the time. On FanDuel, we can pretty much ignore tight end as a captain. Uh, not tight end. Um, uh, kicker as a captain. That really doesn't work. Uh, it, it may be one once. It, it's, it's something we want to avoid. Um, breaking this down a little further, I found that, that some of these numbers really, really interesting in the further breakdown. Um, we said that wide receiver was 18% of the time. WR1 was 11 WR2 was 6%. So if you want to get really unique on FanDuel, the way to do it, no one plays the WR2 as the captain. But again, this is, goes back to our how do you take down the nuts? How do you leverage yourself against what everybody's doing? The WR2 won 6% of the time. Again, Jarvis Landry. Again, uh, I'm trying to think of WR2s. Sammy Watkins. Well, what's wait. Sammy Watkins, Adam Sammy Watkins in that game, or uh, yeah, uh, Will Fuller when when DeAndre Hopkins was on the slate, right? WR two wins enough uh, for for the Steelers this year when Deontay Johnson goes off when everybody plays Juju Smith Schuster, right? So WR three was extremely rare, um, under one percent of the time. So I think we can safely cross off the WR threes of the world. Maybe that's the slot guy for your team. Maybe that's the Randall Cobb. Sure. Uh, you know, week one here. Something is Randall Cobb the WR three? Yeah, we'll call him the WR three on sure. Houston yeah. this weekend. And and you would expect, and I'm sure, even though I don't have this breakdown broken down that way, that the favorite is more likely to show up than the underdog just across the board when we're talking about the wide receiver position and even if you play that that wide receiver so like what this week we're looking at not even like let's say it's randall cobb or kenny sills even if you just play them at six percent in the mvp slot you are smashing the field in that ownership a hundred percent if that's winning six percent of the time but the field is only playing that one percent that's how you win the tournament you don't win it necessarily listen we're gonna play a quarterback because it wins 41 percent of the time right but when we do quarterback as our MVP, we have to differentiate elsewhere, and we're going to talk about that next. But before we get into how much salary to leave over, because on FanDuel, it's a lot. 
when you have quarterback in there, we're going to leave a lot of salary on yeah. the table. Uh, but some other details to know. Again, kicker never really winds up in the MVP. Two kickers never in the flex for FanDuel. Never. They're way too expensive. FanDuel prices up the kicker because of their scoring system. Kickers score as much as regular players on FanDuel. Like, you know, a kicker that kicks four field goals outscores most receivers. receivers. Yeah, I mean, he's going to outscore those guys because on on the FanDuel scoring system, you know, let's say 15 fantasy points, man. That's it's like, you know, pretty decent wide receiver performance. Yep. It's an okay running back performance, too. Like, you know. A great performance is 22 fantasy. It's just different than DraftKings. Different. Kicker's more likely, but never two. Never two. Um, that hasn't worked out. Um, one interesting thing I noted about FanDuel lineup construction, Josh. Yeah. Running back, no running back, zero running back lineup. One, 16% of the Now, another spot. It fascinates me because you almost could never think of making a FanDuel lineup without a running back in it. Especially considering their score, you know, I mean, it's so running back and quarterback heavy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole thing, right? So you're always wanting to play a running back in every lineup because it's FanDuel and we need touchdowns and yardage, you know, just the the benefits of wide receivers just aren't there on FanDuel. Right. But it's it's a really interesting contrarian approach to because that won 16% of the time to play it. Um, Two running backs together was a massive amount of time, 30% plus 45, 70, 45, 75, about 75% of the time, at least one or two running backs was the winner. And of course, if 16%, it was zero. That means that there was an actual um, 8% occurrence where three running back lineups, right. three running backs were in the tournament winning lineup, which I think is also super uh, something that no one ever plays. No one's going to play three or two running backs from the same team, but that does win occasionally yep so these are just ways to get contrarian on FanDuel. never two tight ends just like DraftKings. never two tight ends never use two tight ends um now let's get a couple of other details in here before we get into the salary cap situation we'll go back to the onslaughts four to one onslaughts where the favorite was the four one on on FanDuel, 22 percent of the time that's a lot it's about the same on FanDuel and DraftKings. So yeah. I, maybe I think it's a little higher on FanDuel, was it? Yeah. What's interesting is it's winning about the same as the 5-1 to one on DraftKings. You know what I'm saying? Like yep. DraftKings, you have to be even more extreme about it. FanDuel, it's less extreme, but it's still 4-1. to one. I mean, there might have been situations where 5-0 could have won, but you're not allowed to do that on FanDuel. Right. The 4-1 is the most you can do. I actually thought the number would be higher. I'm a little surprised it was only 41.6%. I mean, I, it's hard, like, uh, because a lot of times, like, if it's, if those favorites are, you know, like where it's going to be an onslaught, they're priced up so much more than the, than the, than the duds that you can fit in a, a an underdog at a, at a cheap price. Maybe a QB is at 11K instead of 15, like they normally are. Yeah. It's, it's, um, situational. Yeah. It's, it's just situational, but also, again, because there's only five s- positions on FanDuel. Right. It could be that the other team isn't even doing that terrible. It's just one team has a great game, and they score 45 
points. Or their position yeah. players are, you know, just have huge games, you yeah. know, could be a, could be a one touchdown game or a three point game, or maybe they even lose, but they, you know, they racked up all these points. Now, uh, absolutely. Now, one thing that's pretty locked in on DraftKings is if you play a quarterback at captain, you're going to need at least two people catching passes yeah. and sometimes three and even occasionally four from that quarterback, the number right. which is bananas. But like that's what the that's what the onslaught is. And that usually means there's probably a patch catching running back in the mix in that one. On FanDuel, it's no different. If you're going to play a quarterback at captain, you're going to play at least one. It's not a yeah. must to play more than one. You want to play potentially more than one, but at least one pass catcher with him, even if it's Lamar Jackson. Yes. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Even if it's Lamar, you got to have an Andrews or a Brown or a whoever else is still there. Yeah, there's no avoiding that because if Lamar Jackson is doing his thing, somebody's catching passes and, yep. and doing their thing too. I mean, it, he could run for three touchdowns and it, there's a possibility, but I think more people build for that than the chance of that actually really coming together. You have to have him. And- I think Lamar is like the perfect example because if, if Lamar runs for three touchdowns, Ingram or Dobbins or whoever else is not going to be in the nuts because there's just not points there for him. You know what I mean? So it might be that a, a wide receiver only gets seven points on FanDuel, but he's still going to be in the nuts because he produced a little bit. Whereas, you know, if on FanDuel, if the running back doesn't get in, like they're not they're not scoring points. Absolutely. Um Three RB. So I wrote that contrary. Yeah, we talked about the th- yep. uh, the third running back where that was actually something contrarian that we could do. MVP distribution again, 41, 36 and 18 percent. So um, the only rules that we really want to get into for DraftKings when we're creating our um, mass multi entry. And let's get into the most important one. Salary, salary remaining. So spending 60K on FanDuel. This is an unreal stat, by the way. I just wanted to preface that. Yeah. 50K, only won something like 5% of the time. Yeah. And yet, a massively higher amount of the lineups being created spends uh, the full the full salary cap on FanDuel. I believe it's 60K. 59.5, so the next level down, was not much better. So, was not much better. So, if you if you spent fifty nine five or more, only eleven percent of the time was that the nuts, right? Right. Yeah, that's so, crazy. But the vast majority of the lineups being entered are spending that much salary. So the move on Fanduel, especially when and one of the craziest stats I saw is that actually spending under fifty five thousand, which is leaving essentially a massive 5k on the table that actually won 19% of the time, which is mind blowing. It's crazy. So so should we just build our lineups for 55 K and just like try to get in there for the 19% of the time? I'm going to say no to that. No, (laughs) it's even, it's really hard. even though that might have won, it's going to be unusual for anybody to actually find that optimal lineup because um, you essentially need a, a $5,000 min price player to, to have a day. You need two of them. Like you need yeah. dual turds in your lineup, which is just 
It's if you start play. building lineups for that, there's a great chance you'll spend under 55k and not find the optimal ever. Yep. And so and just never win. So we don't want to do that. So we have to be within reason. I think 59 is a good number. 58.5. Like you're you're cutting out half the field in terms of of having the same lineup as you. You know what I mean? At least half the field if you if you set your top at there. Now, here's the thing. So we're we're gonna we're gonna recommend especially when you you use the chalky MVP. I don't think this is an issue when you use the RB2 or the WR2. Like at that point, just build the best around it because it's going to be a very low-owned MVP anyway. So you don't need as much uniqueness. But when we play the running back or the quarterback as the MVP, yep, we want to leave at least 1,000 in salary on the table. Not because it's impossible or even more likely than not that the winning lineup in that week won't spend more than that. And we might lock ourselves out of the nuts for that one event. But the idea being over time, if you're playing the running back and you're spending 59, five, you're going to tie with hundreds of lineups Yep. and you're never going to take one down. So if we're playing these, if we're playing these to try to win these tournaments, to take them down, we have to accept that we won't be in the big tie groups for those um, slates that have the 50, you know, the 500, the 300, the 200 person tie group, you know, it doesn't look as good right. for our RG profile, not taking those down right. ranked even higher. It's easy to get your ranking up by winning those ties, <laughs> you know, as like, Hey, I'm number one. Yeah. Uh, you're, just, you're just inflating your numbers. Yeah. I like inflating. Like, my I maybe lost money, but I am. <laughs> I like inflating those numbers. Um, but it's more important that we make money doing this. And the only way to be profitable. So it, while what seems like a plus EV short term approach where you're like, dude, I don't want to lock myself out of winning this tournament today seems like plus EV in the very short term is actually very much a negative EV approach. If you're only putting in lineups that have no chance of winning solo, but only will tie over time, you're going to not be profitable. Right. And there's no getting around it. My most profitable win ever in a showdown, Josh yep. was, or my biggest one ever, I guess was a 30 K win last year. And it was still a bunch of ties, but it was when I faded Christian McCaffrey. Yes. Tampa Bay. Uh, yeah, against Tampa. And I thought you were crazy. Everybody thought I was crazy, right? Yeah. That's how you win. That's how you win it, dude. It feels gross to do it. it I slept not... through my big win. Oh, yeah. That's, that, that I don't even get. It was, but, the Rams. it was the Rams, and I can't remember who they were playing, but Todd Gurley went off, and I had two kickers, I think, on DraftKings. And yeah, I, I don't know. I slept through it. I didn't even know what was going on. <laughs> Unreal, right? But, right? you know, how do you go to sleep? But, you know, it happens. But, I went to sleep um, in like the first quarter. Like, eh, it was whatever. It was absolutely. that double when they had those two Monday night games on. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I had one last detail that I was going to talk about here. And it's just, uh, you know, I just, it's slipping my mind. But what I wanted to just get, get back into was, of course, for every week in the season, we're going to have these, we're going to have these breakdowns. We're going to have before week one, there'll be a full blast for, for DFS Army VIP subscribers, there'll be a full blast how to set up the Domination Station tutorial that I do as a live stream here. That's going to be DFS Army VIP subscribers only, where I fully go through the process of setting up the optimizer to take down a tournament to how to leave salary on the table, which is a function 
that we have available to us. I'm going to talk about, for people who are attacking DraftKings, how to make multiple runs so that you can sort of build around certain storylines. You can create the onslaught stacks that we want to be able to create. We've got to do individual runs. That's the best approach. Uh, you know, it takes a little more time. Yep. And honestly, if you're not willing to put in the time, I don't think this style and attack is right for you. If you're not willing to put in that time, I think the better move is just to take on smaller tournaments and, you know, get in like a contest with 250, 350 entrants, yep. put a really great lineup together, you know, be smart about it, try to win it, but you if, don't have to get as crazy. If you're going to MME any of these showdown slates, like you need, what, two hours, like at least, you know what I mean? I mean? It, yeah, at least two hours of time, organize, set up the optimizer, make all of the rules. And so we will take you through that. Part of what we do at DFS Army is we're teaching you how to attack these slates, how to use the tools. It doesn't just help. That's why we're having this video right now. We've now got a nice broad overview statistically of what approaches have been used in the past and we expect will continue to work to take these tournaments down. The next step is going to be how do I put this information this actionable information into play and that will be using uh, you know we'll take you through live stream tutorials with live q a where you yeah. can kind of say oh why did you do that why are you making this rule right now why 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 are you approaching this like that and we can get into the minutiae one last detail that i'm going to say for our as we're coming to the end of this video one of the most important things josh for taking down showdowns and just for attacking these is understanding ownerships and projecting ownerships accurately. Yeah. So within the domination station optimizer at DFS Army, next to every player name, including in showdowns for every primetime showdown, we have ownership projections. We project the incident of a player being the captain. We project the incidents of them being the flex. So you are highly aware, and this comes back to the Christian McCaffrey example, when Christian McCaffrey was going to be 80% captain that week, I said, you know what? If he wins, I've still got to beat 150,000 other lineups that used him as the captain. And I was like, shit, I don't know if I'm so good that I could still. Like, wouldn't it be better if I'm going up against a much smaller part of the field, even though I'm taking a less than optimal scenario for happening? So in the McCaffrey has one of his two dud games per year scenario. I only had to go up against 2% of the field with every lineup that didn't have him as my captain or didn't have him in it. Yep. And you might say, well, you're an idiot. You're just throwing away money. Okay, well, until that one time where happens is on your side. Understanding probabilities is the key to everything and having ownership projections where we understand, all right, playing this player is not getting me any leverage on the field. None. Everybody's playing him. When, when when DeAndre Hopkins scores a touchdown, he's 80% owned. I don't move ahead. Like my position does not increase. I'm sitting in 10,000th place with that lineup. I'm still in 10,000th or 9,858. Like, touchdown, you don't move. Yeah, I moved up like three, you know, three spots with, with that touchdown. What the fuck? That's because you got a player in there that's giving you no correlation. So having ownership projections, premium ones, most other sites, by the way, I'm just going to tell you. Other places, you got to go buy ownership projections. You could pay 30, 40 bucks a month just yep. for that. That's just part of all of the different things we do at DFS Army. So, best deal in sports. We're best deal in DFS. I say that all the time. I don't want to be the best deal. I want to be the best site. 
That's true. And we happen to be the best price because we want to appeal to casual players. Yep. We want to appeal to everyday Joes. Our entire premise is helping Joes compete with the pros, leveling the playing field. So we've kept the set of the pricing down because we know your average Joe player just doesn't have $90 a month to kick in for uh, advice on DFS. We're For that reason, we've kept our our monthly premium just so much below any other sites that and, are what I would call comparable. And I just think like uh, I was a good player before I, I started. I came here, what, three years ago? Um, and I've learned so much, not just like creating content, but from from you, from everybody that we have on staff, from keg to chop to everybody. Like uh, I've become just an, an exponentially better and more profitable player just by being a part of this, you know? And, and if I can do that as somebody who I felt like I was a pretty good player before this, like think of how that affects just the regular average Joe. Absolutely. So we'll wrap it up there, guys. We will be back this week with a specific, you know, breakdown for every single primetime showdown. Josh, Bobby Clinks, myself on most of them. We'll see. We'll, we'll, there'll be a rotation and I will do a special optimizer tutorial for week one, maybe Wednesday night. Not sure, but we'll do a breakdown showing you how to set up the optimizer, how to use our rule settings to create scenarios like what we talked about in this video. I'll end it here. Good stuff, Josh. Thanks for jumping on me. For everybody watching this right now, we're going to have an awesome season. Nobody takes down more showdowns than DFS Army. And now we're going to use our tools. We're going to use these stats to continue that trend going into the 2020 season. Going to crush it. Uh, good luck, uh, everybody, and we'll see you back here for the showdown breakdowns. Take care, Josh. Let's go.